You know, it took me a little while to figure out, even as a follower of Jesus, that you don't have to go overseas, you don't have to dress in different kinds of clothes and live on another continent to be a missionary. Uh, in fact, uh, biblically speaking, as soon as you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a missionary. So God has, by His grace, called you to do exactly what you have just seen on the screen. That is, not only going across uh, the world, so to speak, but also going right there where you live as a missionary. At the beginning of this year in January, we had a series of messages entitled The Switch, where we talked about uh, turning on the missionary mindset. Well, today we begin a new series entitled Engage, where we're going to actually talk about prioritizing a missionary lifestyle. And as you can see so far from uh, the logo, uh, the imagery is driving a vehicle. And so there are four gears in this mission truck, so to speak. And we're going to talk this morning about how to let the clutch out of the very first gear and engage that in our life. And that gear is very simply just stepping forward and making yourself available for the mission. And anytime I talk about just stepping forward, the person that always comes to my mind is Isaiah. And so I want to invite you with me to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Uh, if you got a Bible, say yes. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, I love to hear the pages turning. I have preached on this passage uh, three times. I think this actually marks the fourth time that I have preached on it. But every single time I study this text of Scripture, God opens my eyes anew. And what we will find today is that Isaiah experienced two realities in his life. And those two realities, which I'm praying you and I will also experience, caused him to engage the mission, step forward. So we'll see that together. Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1. Stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. Isaiah 6 and verse 1, uh, the Bible says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him. And each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with the two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven." And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Let's bow together. Father, again, a great privilege to uh, preach this text. And I pray right now that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would open up the portals of heaven and have, uh, give us the opportunity to have a glimpse into your glory. And God, I pray that we are overwhelmed by it we are challenged in our faith to step up as missionaries and to step forward with the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are perishing, who need to know the truth. God, we want to be faithful 
So I thank you for this church body and their heartbeat to make disciples everywhere. Stir that up in us even more this morning. Uh, Please speak to those, God, who do not know you personally, who still need to turn from their sin and place their trust in you. God, redeem them today, and we'll give you praise for it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen. So you can go ahead and be seated. Two things that I want to share with you this morning that lead to uh, the expressed purpose of stepping forward to be involved and engaged in the mission. So the very first thing that we see in this text is very simple. Uh, We've got to get a glimpse of His majesty. We've got to get a glimpse of His majesty. So we'll just go verse by verse. Let's start in verse 1 there. He says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, Now, this is a time stamp in this particular passage of Scripture. It gives us context. Uh, Uzziah was the king of Israel for 52 years, and then he passed away. Isaiah uh, describes this reality that he now is dead. Now, Isaiah also magnifies the reality of his death. Now, why does he do that? Because he really wants us to understand some things that were going on in the context of Israel. Israel had known Uh, Matter of fact, some generations had never known another king except King Uzziah. And King Uzziah was a good king, the Bible says. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord until the end of his life. At the end of his life, his heart was filled with pride and his ego got the best of him. The Bible says that he entered into the temple of the Old Testament and he actually uh, offered up burnt incense before the altar of God. Now, according to uh, the Old Testament, that is a no-no for the king. In fact, the only people who could offer up sacrifices or incense before the altar of God were the priest. And so in his own egotistical manner, maybe he thought he had earned the right to do such a thing. But the Bible tells us that some 81 priests came to uh, this particular uh, King Uzziah and actually confronted him over his sin they rebuked him but he was indignant in his heart and then the bible says that not only did the priest rebuke him but the uh, rebuke of god came upon his life right there in their midst as god struck this man with leprosy leprosy broke out on his forehead he was subsequently uh, banned from the temple he was uh, carried outside even uh, the city of jerusalem And there he spent the remainder of his days as that disease of leprosy ravished his flesh and he ultimately died. So you consider for a moment, 52 years, the exact same king, and now he's dead. The nation of Israel would have been in turmoil. Isaiah even would have been wondering what was going to happen next. Now you and I really don't understand the gravity of what's taking place, I don't believe, because you and I don't understand this idea of a king serving for that amount of time. You and I know presidents. They serve for four years, possibly eight, and then we elect another one. But in this passage of Scripture, we see Isaiah is facing some uncertain days. Uh, You may be facing some uncertain days. I've got phenomenal news for you this morning because I want you to note what happens with Isaiah. So again, look at the verse. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Now notice the word Lord there. It's the Hebrew word Adonai, which means master of all things. 
He is seated on the throne. The word seated means inhabiting or dwelling or finding your home there. So the Lord himself, the master of the entire universe, Isaiah saw him at home on his throne. And the idea here of throne speaks of his majesty, speaks of his royalty. So think about what uh, peace would have flooded the soul of Isaiah, who would have been concerned about what was going on here on the earth with the passing of Uzziah. You see, even if Uzziah dies, the Lord wanted Isaiah to know that he still reigns as the king. Even if uh, a president passes away or a new one comes and we're uncertain about their leadership, know this, regardless of who is in the White House, the Lord Jesus is on the throne. And so this is the fact, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, lofty and exalted. And the word lofty is an awesome term in the Hebrew language. It speaks of being exceedingly high. Uh, The position of the throne, check this out, could have been said to be overbearing to every individual who had the opportunity to set their gaze upon it. It was a lofty throne. The Bible says the throne was exalted. And this actually gives the imagery of the throne being lifted up directionally. So go with me here in your mind's eye. Uh, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord and there he is at home on a royal throne. He is lofty and he is exceedingly high and even it's almost like this even as I appear into his glory his throne is being lifted up higher and higher and higher what a phenomenal picture this is it was a heavenly vision by the way Isaiah was not in the temple of the Old Testament Uh, he was not in a temple made with hands he was actually seeing the true heavenly temple Uh, just so you are aware Uh, The Bible teaches us in the book of Hebrews that the earthly temple is actually a picture of the heavenly true temple. That's why God was so particular whenever he was giving instructions on exactly how to build the Old Testament tabernacle and his temple. Because it was a depiction of heaven. And so now he is peering into not a temple made with hands, but the temple which is in heaven. And then we notice the next phrase, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, as I looked at that, I began to um, try to more or less figure out how I could explain that. This is what came to my mind. Uh, See if it helps or hinders. Y'all with me say yes. But uh, I actually thought about a uh, prince and a princess getting married. And you, you may have seen something like this, some pictures of it, or maybe even on television, but... Uh, You know, the prince is down front, and then the princess enters into uh, the particular room where the ceremony is being held. She is dressed uh, to the hilt. She, she, as she walks in, you see the train of her dress going all the way out the back door. She walks up to the front. She stands there in front of the one who is officiating the wedding. And then maybe you can just kind of see the camera panning that dress all the way out the door. And the longer the dress is, uh, the more royal, the more majestic, the more awesome we consider that particular individual. All right, now check this out. 
that doesn't hold a candle in comparison to the train of the robe of God. The Bible says that his robe, and you've got to picture this, it's flowing down from the throne. And then the scripture teaches, it's like flowing down the steps of the throne and then the train of his robe. It fills in every single gap and every single crevice in the temple. No matter where you look, you see the majestic royal robes of the Lord. And one commentator says it like this, the throne sat at the top of a series of steps and the enormous size of the edge of his royal garment testifies to the exalted importance of this divine king. Psalm 93 and verse 1 tells us that the Lord Jesus is clothed with splendor. He is clothed with absolute majesty. You cannot study this passage and not have a sense that you ought to get down on your face before God. Every single time I have studied this, and even this past week, I did not get out of verse 1 before I had to stop and get low. This is the God that we worship. This is the true living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated upon the throne. He is holy. What an awesome picture. The sheer magnitude of his dignity carries the proudest heart to an undignified low. And then you see verse 2 here as we continue on. The Bible says, Seraphim stood above him. Seraphim. Uh, Seraphim are a distinct class of shining angels in the heavenly hierarchy given a massive responsibility to serve the eternal king of kings. Seraphim. The word seraphs, by the way, it literally means burning ones. Put that on your mind. Burning ones. These angels are illuminating like fire. As they are set in their proper place by the chief king of heaven. They are there, these burning ones. And in the same sense that we know today, the stars standing in space and yet hovering. So these angels were hovering and soaring in their distinct place above the throne. Which, by the way, when you study the Old Testament tabernacle and you enter into your study, walking into the Holy of Holies, there's the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant has above it, which by the way, the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of the throne of God. And above the Ark of the Covenant are two uh, golden angels hovering above it. That's in the Old Testament tabernacle. That is the picture of what's going down in heaven. But it's not just two angels, all right? This is a myriad, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels shining before the Lord. And the Bible says there, each having six wings. We've not seen anything like this before. Uh, two, they covered their face. Two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. You know, even the servants of our majestic God choose not to look upon the great glory of the King. With two, they covered up their face. The sheer covering of the rest of their body, perhaps, uh, was there effort to make sure that Isaiah was not distracted from the glory of God. And here they are in humble submission 
serving the Lord. They are rightly positioned by the King of Kings in uh, the heavenly tabernacle as, check this out, eternal worshipers of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Try to listen to their voices this morning. As they call out to one another, the Bible says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now you see the word called out in your text, all right? When you and I speak of being called out, I mean, there's not a lot of oomph behind that word, right? But here, this word literally means to proclaim. So it's almost as if, and you've got to kind of use your uh, sanctified imagination here for just a moment, but it's almost as if you can picture with me two sets of seraphim, thousands upon thousands. Maybe there's one standing on this side as the worship leader, one standing on this side as the worship leader, and this one proclaims out to this one, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then the other responds, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then they all in unison began to worship God, saying the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You know, some of the songs that we sing today uh, have repeating phrases. And sometimes we'll sing the same thing over five, six, seven times, and folks are like, good night, we've said that a hundred times. Listen, if you don't dig those songs, you're not going to dig this song. Because this morning, even as we were singing, we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. When we are singing our praise, listen, in heaven, even now, there are myriads of angels echoing for all of eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We this morning had the grand privilege as a church to join heaven's choir and worship the king. What a picture. And you think about this too, all right? These angels, these seraphim, are not fallen angels. These angels do not have sin. They are holy themselves. But check it. Now, I want you to listen closer. Are you all listening, yeah? These angels, although without sin still understood the distance between them and the holiness of God. And holy, it means pure, it means clean. Uh, many uh, commentators just put it like this, it just means other. It's like we don't even have in the human vocabulary a word sufficient to describe God. He is just other. And listen, if the angels experience distance and even though they have no sin how much distance is there between us and the lord who is holy 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 holy. and by the way lord of hosts awesome awesome term the word lord not the same word used in isaiah 6 1 adonai this is yahweh and yahweh was the hebrew word given for god it was his name it was his proper name but check this out It's considered the ineffable name. It is the name that people would not speak out verbally for fear of using it in vain. They considered the name so holy, they wouldn't even say it. They would not even spell it all the way out when they wrote it down. Put no vowels. Yahweh. 
the Lord of hosts, and the word hosts, they are angel armies, all right? So as I'm describing to you this morning all of these angels in glory, hey, get that mess out of your head about these little babies playing violins floating on clouds. All right, these are like a military arraignment of individuals who are overwhelmingly filled with strength, and they stand before the chief who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Yahweh of hosts, Lord of the angel armies. And then check it out here. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth. And I love this, right? His glory not only is in heaven, but the Bible teaches us all of creation declares the glory of God. So as you drove to church this morning and you saw the sun up in the sky, that is God shouting his glory. When you are woke up this morning by those birds chirping outside, that is creator God who put those there shouting his glory. Every single uh, newborn child that uh, cries out, that is God shouting his glory. All of creation, the stars, the moon, I mean it's like a grand orchestra or symphony that is lifting up praise to the one true creator. God. Polar is filled with his glory. And I'll tell you, all right, uh, this worship service in heaven, this ain't no quiet time. All right? Hey, listen, uh, decent and in order, yep, but it is not quiet. Well, where do you get this? Well, look at your Bible. This is awesome. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. You may remember a time, I know I remember several of them as I was studying this text, when a thunderstorm would kind of come up on the house, and all of a sudden a um, loud crack of thunder over the house would come. You know what I'm talking about, that massive rumble, and it would be so large and so loud that it would actually rattle uh, the wood on the house and rattle the window panes, and you can hear it as it steamrolls through. You got that imagery in your mind? That does not remotely compare to what's going on in heaven right now. These angels saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. It's like they catch him. You're right. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Back and forth, they shout in glory to Almighty God. And through their praise, the Bible says the whole temple is shaking. You can not only see it, you can not only hear it, but you can even feel it. That grand worship is happening in glory. Right now, while I'm preaching, worship's going down. Hey, wouldn't it be awesome, by the way, that our worship here at Concord will be so grand one day that the wall started shaking? Let me come back and re-ask that question. Wouldn't it be awesome if we worship the Lord one day and just the wall started shaking? Without a doubt. Worship of the Lord. <laughs> Y'all getting carried away now, but... Doesn't it just make you look at your own worship and say, what have I been doing? How silly I've been. Y'all see the next part? 
The temple was filled with smoke. This is awesome, by the way. This is by, by the way, this is not uncommon in the Old Testament. When God showed up, oftentimes smoke showed up too. And the question is like, why in the world is all this smoke showing up in the context of God and His glory? Uh, what's going on here? I want you to check this. This is awesome. The smoke shows up to keep individuals like Isaiah from actually seeing the full face of God. The smoke serves the purpose to actually guard mortal Isaiah from seeing the full glory in the face of God. You say, well, why in the world can't you see his full glory? Because the Lord said in Exodus 33, 20, you cannot see my face. No man can see my face and live. Now, don't you think about this, all right? Um, and I've preached on this before, but glory, it means weight. Uh, there's this true sense of heaviness. And now I want you to watch this. The glory of God is so weighty, so heavy, that if he rent the heavens and showed us his face, it would crush every single one of us. It's the glory of God. The human pen does not hold enough ink to mark down the glory of God. The human language does not contain vocabulary sufficient enough to describe the greatness of the Lord. The grandest thoughts that you or I can have about the glory of God do not scratch the surface of contemplating His true essence. And Isaiah gets a glimpse. The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, lofty and exalted. Which leads me to the second point. When you get a true glimpse of who God is, the second reality is that you will get a grip on who you are. When you get a glimpse of his glory, you get a grip on who you are. That's what happened to Isaiah. Look at verse 5. Isaiah, then I said, which by the way, I'm thinking, I can't believe my man's talking. But here he is speaking up. Woe is me. I'm a ruin. And uh, woe is a term of lament. It describes the passionate expression of grief and sorrow. And in this case, the prophet Isaiah was grieved over his own life, standing before his majesty, the king. I'm ruined. It means destroyed, torn apart. He's saying, my lips are unclean. And by the way, out of the uh, mouth comes the abundance of the heart. So he is literally describing his own heart. He gets a glimpse of the glory of God, and he immediately goes down to the mat, and he says, I am undone, destroyed, torn apart. I have unclean lips. And then he says, I live among people with unclean lips. In other words, I live among other people who do not have a genuine heart towards you. He is overwhelmed by this situation. And by the way, when we really get a glimpse of the glory of God, we're always taken to the mat, and we're always extremely quick to confess our sin every time. 
Now, as I think about my man Isaiah, it's pretty amazing to me because Isaiah grew up as an Israelite. So uh, he grew up studying uh, the Old Testament law. He studied the book of Leviticus. He, he knew intellectually about the holiness of God. He had information. For the first time that I'm aware of in Isaiah's life, he moves from information to realization. And everything changed. Everything. You know, we're using the, uh, the idea of engaging the mission, uh, prioritizing a missionary lifestyle, uh, using that idea of actually driving a vehicle. And I don't know if you remember the first time you ever drove, but I remember what it was like. Like, I remember it like it was yesterday. I think I was around 11 when I really started thinking, one day I'm going to get to drive. And I kind of got excited about that. And so I started paying very close attention to my mom and dad as they were driving. I saw them grab a stick and push it down, and a blinker would come on. They'd turn left. I saw them push the blinker up. They'd turn right. Saw them stop at the red light, go at the green light. Saw them let the clutch out, change the gears, press the brake, press the gas. I began to understand the vehicle I understood even about the fact you had to change the oil I didn't know how to do it but I understood it needed to be done so I had all this information but then finally 16 years old I get the promise of using the geo prism that weekend y'all remember that ride don't you sweet so fast had like a Kawasaki engine in it, you know, like a motorcycle engine. Got good gas mileage in it. But I'll never forget, they told me I could use the car that weekend. I immediately started asking people out on dates. Would you, you want to go out this weekend? You know? But then finally, Friday night rolled around, I got behind that Geo, and I cranked that bad boy up and pulled it out all by myself, and I didn't get no far further out of the uh, cul-de-sac than a, not even a mile. And all of a sudden, I was just overwhelmed. I started laughing uncontrollably. And I know I look like a loon, right? But I was just looking. I'm like, my parents ain't here. I'm up by myself. This is awesome. I'm going nuts. Like I had to drive around a little while before I go pick somebody up because it was embarrassing. But what happened is that I moved from information to realization. And there are times in my life that I can mark down. I grew up in a Church home, I was taught the Bible. I went to church, uh, Sunday school, all those kinds of things. And I learned a lot about the Lord Jesus and studied it up. Intellectually, understood it. But listen, there have been times in my life that I can look back when information went to realization. Overwhelmed by the presence of God. Overwhelmed with who he... And every single time that it's happened that I can recall... Or time, and I remember one distinctly by myself. And it's like I, I was in a state of uncertainty. What's going on? What's happening in my life? And man, I was like, Lord, you've got to show me yourself. And I'll say I didn't have an experience just like Isaiah by any stretch. But God spoke to my heart. And as soon as I realized he was speaking, I got down on my face information to realization that's when 
And this God that I've been preaching about up here right now this morning is not just some fairy tale, not just somebody that I've kind of concocted out of my imagination. This is not some Lord here that's just written about in some history book. This is the God of the universe who wrote this book to describe who he was so that one day you could go from information to realization and see him for who he is. That's where it's at, which leads to the last deal. I can't skip over this. I ain't got time, but I'm going to preach it to you anyway. Y'all all right with that? I only need one vote. Look at verse 6, because this is wild, right? Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which, by the way, uh, would that not freak you out? You're on your face before God. Now one of these burning angels is coming directly towards your face with a burning coal in his hand. He had taken that off the altar with tongs, which, by the way, there's worship at the altar of the throne of God. There's incense being burned even as we speak. The Bible even says in the book of Revelation that our prayers are like incense in heaven. He took that tongue, and Isaiah says, He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. This is atonement at its best. This describes to you and I a majestic, holy God who longs, looks forward to, leans into, desires to, passionately rushes to you who repent so that he can cover your sin. He wants to forgive. Give him an opportunity. And he doesn't come at you today with a seraph and a burning coal. Today... By His grace, He comes to you from the altar of sacrifice on the cross right to where you are as a repentant heart with nail-scarred hands and He touches you and He atones for all of your sin, carries them away, everyone. Have you, have you experienced that? Some of, some of you, I, I fear, intellectually know the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection. I've heard it a thousand times. But have you moved from information to realization? Uh, this is something that has actually happened to me? It's not only a salvation moment when you come to know the Lord for the first time, but there are times in your life as you're walking with God that by His grace, He chooses just to overwhelm with who He is. And you don't know. It's like, good. But now, my man, he's got a glimpse of the glory of the Lord, His majesty. He's, he's got a grip on who He is. And then we find that Isaiah now is going to step forward. And this is the amazing part. Look at verse 8, if you will, in your Bible. Uh, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And by the way, this idea of us doesn't speak of the Lord and the seraphim. Uh, this is actually the Trinity speaking. There's a Trinitarian conversation going on in heaven. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Who shall we send for us? And then Isaiah said, here I am, send me. 
It's almost as if he, okay, gets a glimpse of the glory. He's taken down to the mat. He is atoned for by the grace of God. And now he hears above his head this conversation about who's going to go for us. And he's like, I'll do it. Send me. Where's his inadequacy? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, shouldn't Isaiah be going, uh, when he hears this conversation, who who shall we send for us? Shouldn't he be standing up going, "Uh, Lord, uh, I can't do it. I I, I don't have that gift. I I don't know what I would say. I'm a little nervous about what other people would say. I'll tell you what, Lord, I'll be faithful to go to temple every single Saturday. I will give uh, towards your projects. I will pray to you, but but not, I can't go out and speak on your behalf. I, I just, I'm just not wired that way. Why doesn't he speak like that? They say, well, Levi, why are you asking that? Because that's how we speak. Isaiah didn't even know the mission he was volunteering for. You and I understand the mission. Go make disciples. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plant churches. Uh, Allow the kingdom influence of Jesus to actually expand from where you gather together. We get the mission. And it's almost as if the Lord, and there's another Trinitarian conversation going over our heads right now. And the Father, the Son, the Spirit are saying, who are we going to send for us? And this is when I wish I could get up right way up there. And look down so, so everybody can kind of see the idea here that I've got in my head. So who am I going to send for us? And what do we do? Oh, we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are so passionately thankful. But we, we don't do this number. We stand up and say, hey, Lord, um, I can't do that. I, I don't have the gift set. I don't, you know, I don't have the gift of gab. I don't really know what I would say. I'm afraid of what others might. What if somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to? How do we act like that? Can I submit to you the reason that we act like that so often inadequate and we can't do it is because we have not seen the Lord. Because when you and I see the Lord, all right, all right, y'all ain't getting it. Y'all come here for a second. Here, here's the picture again. Isaiah on his face, whom shall we send for us? Here am I, send me. Why such confidence? Here's the reason there's confidence. Because he's, he's almost, he's seen the Lord. He understands his glory. The Lord is in control. And he's like, if, if you're for me, who can be against me? There's the confidence. It's not about you. It's not about what you can offer. It's not about me. It's not about what I can offer. This is us seeing God Understanding he is in full control of all things. He's invited us to go on mission. We step forward. Take me. If you're for me, who can be against me? Every one of us. You remember, um, i got to shut this down, but I'm still preaching a little bit. Y'all all right? All right you remember being in school, uh, let's say elementary school? And there were always like two kids who knew every single answer that was ever asked by the teacher. We have names for those kids, all right? They were in my class too. But but, but you know what they do? They would be like this. Oh, me, 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 I know, I know. Oh, 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 oh. 
And what's wild is, like, they would have their hand up so long that eventually they would take their other arm and hold it up. It's like, I know the answer. I'm like, put it down, nerd. (laughs) But I think when you and I really, by the way, if you were one of those, God bless you, all right? I (laughs) didn't mean to call you a nerd either. But in my mind, there's got to come a time. And you got to imagine this, man. That we move from information to realization as a church collectively. It's like, who's going to go out there on our behalf, says the Trinity. And the Lord looks down at Concord and every single one of us. Me, here I am. Send me. That's the call. And when we see the Lord, it's no longer about our inadequacies. It's about His majesty. It's about His glory. It's about His honor. Listen, that's what we do, right? We we take the clutch out. We engage first gear. Uh, These two things have to occur before first gear even comes. Glimpse of His majesty. uh, Grip on who we are. And isn't it amazing when you begin to see God, you start realizing that your heart's been investing in things that are so trivial. And your, your mind's been occupied with things that have no eternal value. Uh, man, your, your whole life. It's like, what have I been doing? I just saw the Lord. But once these occur, first gear, then you're stepping forward. We want to help you do that as a staff. We've worked hard on some uh, family devotionals for you, Brandon, down here on the front. Myself, we've uh, written these. Others have contributed um, as we've looked at this together. The family devotionals. So I'm going to encourage your family throughout uh, the next several weeks to take one of these bags home, one bag per family. And uh, very short, three, uh, three nights a week is all you got to do. Sit down as a family, have a devotional. And in the devotional, you're going to be encouraged to actually uh, put down prayer request. And I'll tell you, right, no car looks cool without one of these hanging from the windshield, right? These, by the way, are not real air fresheners, so don't scratch and sniff. It's construction paper, all right? But what they are, and you, you can't see it from there, but these are actually prayer fresheners. That's like creativity at its best, isn't it? And so you'll write your prayer requests down, and maybe you'll put them on your rearview mirror as a reminder to pray. Maybe you'll stick them on your fridge somewhere you can see them. Inside every bag also is one of these um, vehicles, a little convertible. It says engage on it. And the idea here is that as you do uh, the devotional, there'll be times for questions, and uh, whoever's holding the car can answer. You know, we do that sometimes in our staff meeting with footballs uh, because we're, we're always, everybody just starts talking, we all get excited, and then we have a football to keep, you know, one person talking at a time. So we throw the football at each other. So that was kind of the idea here. But you'll study that with your family. Then on Sunday nights, you'll get together with your small group in a home. Uh, there's a video, a discussion, another time where you'll talk about all four gears and engage prioritizing a missionary lifestyle so everybody look at me real quick all right um i'm I'm fixing to close it up here 
So during the invitation, uh, one person per family, uh, come forward and grab a bag, head back to your seat. So when we stand up and we begin to sing, that's your, that's your mode, all right, that you move right then to come grab one of these. If you're a guest of ours, hey, we've made extras, so come and grab one. We'd love for you to take one. If you're single by yourself, come grab one. You can take that as well. It'll be a, a service to you. Hey, y'all don't put your stuff up yet. I might preach some more. I was just kidding. But also for the invitation, uh, some of you right up here understand the gospel. But right here, you've not realized it. And it's been said before, people miss heaven by 12 inches, the distance between their heart and their head. When you see the Lord, for the first time, He rushes to you, atoning for your sin, covering. Some of you need to make a step of faith, stepping forward, saying, I want to give my life to Christ. So if that's you this morning, in the moment when we stand up, uh, you come forward as well. I'll be here in the front, others as well. We want to pray for you. Set you up a time to be baptized in the future. Help you grow in your faith. God may be calling you to join this church family. If that's the case, you'd be obedient as well. We'll be here in the front waiting on you. Let's pray. Father, great privilege to know you. Put your hand on the invitation now. We'll give you glory.